As we come into Acts chapter 9, if you've been here, we've been uh, following right through uh, the book of Acts chapter 1. If you were with us uh, in the book of John, the gospel, we went all the way through. And, and it's a story that continues. John spoke uh, of Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is God, the incarnate God in John chapter 1. And so now we come full circle. Jesus has died, was buried. He rose again from the dead. And, and Acts chapter 1 says the, the ascension of Christ. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us. Now the disciples start after Pentecost. The power of God's Spirit is upon them, and things are happening. And yet there's the Jewish believers. There's the Jewish sect. And there's this hatred. There's this animosity against the church, against the body of Christ. They don't like this new movement. Now, you have to remember that God prepares the hearts. He prepared my heart back in 1976. It took three years for me to come to Saving Grace. Some of you have uh, like stories where God was working in you, where God was pricking your heart, where the Holy Spirit was knocking, and we kept resisting. And we know when that we finally succumb and say, Lord, come into my life, things happen. And this is Saul of Tarsus now. God is preparing his heart. God has already prepared his heart. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pricks our hearts, and we're going to see that uh, as Jesus mentions that to Saul. We will witness this Saul of Tarsus. Listen to his background. A very evil man. And he was considered yet a spiritual man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he, they were considered the fighters in Israel. He is one of the 71 elect of Israel that, are, that ruled in Israel. They were called the Sanhedrin. Paul studied. He is a very brilliant man. He studied under the great teacher Gamaliel, uh, the doctor of the law. Uh, Saul was one of the top students, yet he did not believe uh, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They were waiting for Messiah. The Jews were waiting, anticipating. But as we studied the Gospel of John, the Messiah that they were waiting for was a Messiah that would come and rule with an iron fist. A Messiah that would come and rid them of the oppression of Rome. But they missed the scriptures. If they were to look at the Old Testament passages, Isaiah chapter 53 is so clear. that Messiah would come in his first advent. And he would come as a meek lamb. He would say nothing before his shears. And that he would die on the cross. And we know that. We see Psalm 22, it's called the suffering Savior, and it speaks vividly of the suffering of Christ, and Jesus went all through this. Now, in his second advent, the second coming of Christ, he will come, and he will set up his kingdom age, and he will rule, in a sense, with an iron fist, but his first coming was to die on the cross to give us life, life eternal. Paul could not believe that at this time. Now, I'm going to probably be going back and forth but because you, you forget, but he is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, a very a brilliant man, a, a doctor of the law himself, and yet he was a tyrant. You're going to see it in verse 1 and 2. And yet he comes to Damascus. Now, I want you to see this Jerusalem to Damascus. It's over 200 miles. 
and he journeys. They used to go by foot pretty much everywhere they went, or they rode their animals, a donkey or a, or a camel. Uh, but when they would be close to water, you'll see later in the book of Acts, they would get onto ships. But the mode of travel was generally by foot. And so the Bible tells us that he has letters in hand, and the whole purpose is to go and arrest, and they would not say Christians. That happens later in the book of Acts, but they would say those of that way. They hated the Christians so much. They couldn't even call them believers. They couldn't even call them Christians. Uh, they were insurrectionists to them. And so those of that way, the way of Christ. And so we're going to see that Saul of Tarsus, he had gone to... Damascus many times probably. They knew him. In fact, the man that God's going to use is called Ananias. He says, Ananias, there's a man coming. He describes him. He says, I want you to lay hands on him. I want you to pray for him. I have a calling for him. He is going to witness to Gentiles, and he's going to witness to kings, and we're going to see in the book of Acts that he does go before kings and magistrates. And eventually, he ends up before Nero. He has two audiences with Nero. The first time, Nero is listening. And the second time, there are many scholars that believe that Nero, by this time, was demon-possessed. We don't know, but something changed. And then soon after that, Paul, the apostle as we know him, is beheaded. But what's interesting about this Saul of Tarsus, he gets saved here in Acts chapter 9. He's never the same. And if you study your Old Testament, you'll go from Genesis to Malachi. Paul knew that inside out. He knew that because of his training, his upbringing. And then he writes the majority of the New Testament. There are those that we know for a fact, 13 epistles were written by Paul the Apostle. I believe the 14th epistle is the book of Hebrews. And there are scholars that say no. So I want you to see, the conviction has come to this man. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, as I shared. He belongs to the Sanhedrin. He's one of the elect of Israel. But he was considered a spiritual man. Jesus comes against the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, the religious sect at the time. Because they, they could not see beyond their, their religion. They were so strict. you got to do this and you got to do that. And yet here is Saul of Tarsus now. He comes to saving grace. I need to set this up for you. We know that he consented uh, to the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We know that the people took their coats off and they laid them before Saul of Tarsus. And then they went and they plummeted him with stones. Now, the Bible says that uh, when Stephen was martyred, he had the glory of God on him. He looks up into the heavens, and Jesus is literally waiting for him. He did not fear death. Here he is, the first deacon of the church, and he's also now the first martyr of the church. Something happened to this Saul of Tarsus. Something pricked his heart. How could this man die such a violent death, and yet the Shekinah glory was on him. How could this man die for what he believes when we're the true way? And yet it never left him. 
I, I believe that it haunted him. I believe that it followed him. And that's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's called when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. Uh, the more I tried uh, to, you know, justify my position, my friend would say, Bob, you need to be born again. I says, I've done it all. I've gone through all my Catholic school system, and I've done all the, the rituals that I'm supposed to do. I'm water baptized. I says, I made my Holy Communion. I made my confirmation. And here's one that you, this is my pride and joy. Some of you remember, I used to wear a scapular. And I was guaranteed in school, this is what they told me. You wear a scapular, and if you die in an accident of some kind, you have carte blanche. They didn't say carte blanche, but uh, you're going to go to purgatory. I go, all right. I'll go to purgatory, and my family will pray me out. And then I find out later, as I'm searching scripture, there is no purgatory. And you can't pray somebody out. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either in heaven or you're going to be in hell. And it's a choice that we make. Saul of Tarsus assumed in his own heart, I'm doing the right thing. As all of us at one time or another assume that we are doing the right thing. I'm not a bad person. I've never been incarcerated, never been in prison, in jail. I've never done, oh, I was sinning like anybody else, but we would justify. I would justify. I look at the guys back home that were had been in prison. I go, bunch of idiots, right? Oh, thank God I'm not there. But yet, look at the things that we do. And so this testimony, if you haven't come to Christ, you need to have a Damascus Road conversion. If you haven't come to Christ, back in John chapter 4, uh, we have the woman at the well. The Bible says that Jesus went out of his way and he went to Samaria, and he meets this woman at Jacob's well, and she comes to saving grace. And so some of the ladies will come to a, a, a Jacob's well experience. Some of the guys will come to a, a road to Damascus experience. Somewhere, somehow, God gets a hold of me. God gets a hold of you. And so the question always comes up. Well, Pastor Bob, what about the, uh, the Bushman? What about the native? What about that guy way out there? They don't have TV. They don't have internet. They don't have nothing. Uh, they still wear the little shorts and such, and they got spears, and they don't go to school. How about them? Psalm 19 is very interesting. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. You come out in the morning. You gather water from the river. You, you have you know, vegetation that you're growing, corn, wheat, whatever it is. You got fish, you got cattle, you go hunting, and then you stop and you think, what is this? Uh, somebody's providing this for me. There has to be a creator. And so we begin to reflect. And we have this tendency to look up, don't we? Okay, whoever you are up there, thank you. Is that enough to come to saving grace? They've never heard the gospel, yet the heavens declare the glory of God. I love our beautiful Southwest, and when it's so clear here, and trust me, in the last 30 plus years, the smogs come in. We blame El Paso, and then El Paso blames Juarez, you know. 
But I'm so grateful because when we fly into L.A., you got to do this on the airplane to see through the clouds. There's so much smog. One of the ladies just went to uh, Mexico City. There's a lot of smog there, too. And so the heavens declare the glory of God. By nature itself, you know that there's a creator. just didn't happen. And there's those that believe in the Big Bang Theory. And I say, well, if there's a Big Bang Theory, somebody lit the fuse. There has to be a creator. There has to be, listen to this, I don't like this terminology, intelligent design. I like it. And so here's Solitarsus, very religious, but he's going the wrong way. Let's begin. There's a lot to cover. I want to look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25, uh, Saul's conversion. And so uh, the salvation of Saul, this is Saul of Tarsus. In verses 1 and 2, then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. This has to be Caiaphas back in Jerusalem. In verse 2, and he asked for letters from him to go to the synagogue of Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. It's, it was the capital at this time uh, of Syria. So that if he found any, they can't even call them Christians. Of that way, whether men or women, it didn't matter to Saul, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The purpose was to put them in prison. The purpose was to put them on trial. The purpose was uh, to even execute some of them. Paul or Saul of Tarsus was doing his duty. But I want you to see the type of man we're dealing with here. In verse 1, Saul's breathing out threats. The Greek is very strong here. It indicates a person that's inhaling and exhaling and is breathing through the nose. And uh, I want you to see the picture. The nostrils can flare when, when you're so angry. And you can think about it as an animal. And I think at one time or another, we've all seen uh, either videos or movies or, or cartoons, I still remember. And there's the raging bull. And he's got that nasty old ring in his nose and, and the sharp. And everybody's afraid of him. And he sees his predator. And you see the front hooves just going back. And the dirt's flying. And then the nostrils, I remember that in the cartoons, the nostrils flaring back and forth. And, and, and the guy's wearing a red jacket, right? He's coming after you. This is Saul of Tarsus. He was a tyrant. He's coming with letters in hand. He's like a raging bull, if you may. Concerning threats and murders, back in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, uh, they laid their coats at this man, Saul of Tarsus, because he had consented uh, to the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, uh, he dies. Stephen dies. He's the first martyr of the New Testament church. But what did Saul see? He saw Christ in this man. He says, this guy's not even afraid. He's looking up into the heavens. Jesus is ready to receive him. That has to bother Saul. Because he's probably seen men die before, men stoned to death before. And they're grappling, they're hiding. And maybe crying out. I, I believe Stephen just had a comfortable death. You understand what I'm saying? A comfortable death because he knew where he was going. The Bible says to be absent from this body, if I know Christ, is to be present with the Lord. 
It's just an instant. Did God even take away the pain? Could very well be. But he went home to be with the Lord. Interesting today, right now, 21st century, Christians are dying leaps and bounds in the Middle East. We don't hear about it as much as we know. They are believers. Oh, we hear of some of the deaths, but we don't hear about all of them. They're killing men. They're killing women. They're killing children. It's happening also in other countries, not just the Middle East. But notice that he's, he goes for these letters in hand. He's got permission. And so he's going to Damascus for a reason. But God has another purpose. Look at verse 3 now. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus now. Remember, it's about a 200-mile-plus journey. And suddenly, this light shone around about him from heaven. I believe it was the Shekinah glory of God. But Paul, or Saul of Tarsus here, he's not alone. There's an entourage of people. Interesting to me, the message was for him. The others heard voices, but they didn't hear uh, what they were saying. The others might have seen the light, but it wasn't for them. Notice as we continue in verse 4, and then the Saul of Tarsus, he falls to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, and I love this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I like that. God spoke audibly to Saul of Tarsus, or did he speak to his heart? Now, I've never had God speak to me audibly. I've never heard the voice of God say, Bob, but I know God speaks to my heart. God has spoken to my heart since I've come to the born-again experience. I cannot put these messages together unless I sense and I feel and I know that the Lord is, is speaking to me. And all pastors will tell you the same. But I like that he doesn't just hear Saul, but he hears it twice. Saul, Saul, Saul. Can God do these things? The answer is yes. Maybe some of you have experienced it. But at this time, Saul is ready. In fact, he really doesn't know it, but he's ready. And all that's come together for him, he's ready. How many times when we read the scriptures, God speaks to me, God speaks to you. So many times when I'm into the word of God or you'll hear something I share and it speaks, it ministers to you. That's God speaking. Yet he uses the instruments of men and the instruments of women. Look at verse 25 now. Uh, excuse me, verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, that's another beautiful portion of the message. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the church, but in persecuting the church, he's persecuting Jesus. How did Saul of Tarsus know but that through the Holy Spirit, who are you, Lord? He questions it. And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. This Saul of Tarsus, this tyrant, this man that's flaring from his nostrils, he's letters in hand. He can't wait to capture more Christians. He wants to get a hold of men, women, children. It doesn't matter to him. Who are you, Lord? It is me. It is I. It is Jesus. 
What happened to Saul at that moment? What pricked his heart? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, let me explain the apparatus of a goad. It's a simple uh, piece of, like a spear in a sense. It's a rod. It's got a very sharp end. It can be anywhere between two to three feet. It was generally put at the bottom of the cart of your animal. It was right behind his hind legs. And the purpose was when the animal got rambunctious and decided to back up, the back of his, his back legs would hit these sharp and he would move forward. That's the Holy Spirit in my life. I tried, you tried, and we finally succumb and we submit to the Lord. But we feel that piercing, we feel that cutting, and that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the old movie, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. Years back, we used to take it to the prisons in California. And, and I mean, we used to show it to our families. It's an old movie, but it's beautiful. It's a story of uh, David Wilkerson, uh, a farmer in Pennsylvania. And God spoke to him, go to New York City. And there he ministers to the gangs. And there's a gentleman there by the name of Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz was a, a very uh, wicked and evil individual. He was in charge of the gang called the Mau Maus. And here's this nothing preacher. Think about a skinny little man from Pennsylvania, a farmer's kid. And he's going to go preach. And, oh, everybody thought Nicky was going to kill him. And he wanted to. But I like in the movie they show because they asked him later. And Nicky Cruz is still preaching today. And I want you to see the conviction. If you've seen the movie, Eric Estrada uh, plays uh, Nicky Cruz. And it shows him in his little room, in his bed. He can't sleep at night. There's tossing and turning and turmoil. He wakes up, get away from me. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the night that David Wilkerson preached, Nicky Cruz volunteers his gang to take up the offerings. And the reason is because they're going to rip off the offerings. Well, they heard the message before. And the message pricked his heart even more. And when it was time to take up the offering, they did. And his men go, all right, is it time for us to leave? Because they wouldn't do anything without Nicky. Nicky says, no, we're going to fool him. He thought we would steal the money. I'm going to give it back to him but he comes to saving grace. God moves on in our hearts. Some people say mysterious ways, but I say it's divine appointment as the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. Why do you kick against the goads, Jesus said? Look at verse 6. So he, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I remember when I came to saving grace years ago, and I knew that God had come into my life. I made a, a prayer such as this, Lord, what do you want me to do? Little did I know that I would go to prison ministry. Little did I know that I would go to street and jail ministries. I loved it. Little did I know that I would be in shepherd school. Little did I know I never intended to be a pastor. Never wanted to be one. And lo and behold, 30 plus years later, 
Sometimes God has a plan that you have no idea. Our place is to surrender. Lord, what is it that you want from me? And so this is Saul of Tarsus, trembling, astonished. The Holy Spirit is pricking his heart. The vision of, of Stephen dying, I think, is just overwhelming. Look at verse 7. And the men who journeyed uh, with Saul of Tarsus, uh, that were with him, they stood speechless. You see, what the message was not for them. They heard voices, but seen no one. I don't believe they heard the conversation. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But they heard a noise, and they saw the light. But they said, what is going on? The message was not for them. And so it's interesting, when it's your time, when it's my time, God gets a hold of us. Look at verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground. He had been knocked down by the power of God. And when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. Here's this tyrant. Here's this belligerent man. Here's this man that is so mean. You're going to see Ananias is fearful of him. He's like a raging bull, an animal we made a connection in the first verse. And now he's being led like a little puppy dog, like an infant, because he can't see. He's blinded. He has to trust those that are around him. And he knows he wants to go to Damascus. But what do you do now? And we're going to see that he was blind for three days. Look at verse 9 now. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or did he drink anything. What did Saul of Tarsus do at this time? He's at the mercy of God. He knows that it's Jesus. Jesus responded to him because he says, Is that you, Lord? It is me. Why do you kick against the goats? He's got time to think now. You see, I'm convinced that when things happen to me, physically, emotionally, even spiritually, God's using that time to speak to me. And instead of ranting and raving, instead of going, Lord, why me? Uh, Lord, what is it that you want? Speak to me, Lord. Minister to me, Lord. Find some quiet time. And I can guarantee you God will speak to you. God will minister to you. How many times I'm going through something and I just open up the Psalms. I love the Psalms because I see King David going through his trials, his tribulations, his hardship, his pain. And then I begin to see the Psalms. David's crying out in the Psalms, Lord, look at my couch. It's soaking wet, Lord, from all my tears. And then you see at the end of the Psalm. You're coming out of the psalm, and so is David. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer. Lord, thank you for ministering to my heart. Thank you, Lord, that you're comforting me. And so this is Saul of Tarsus now. Three days, time for prayer, time to listen to God. But he's going to Ananias' house. He doesn't know it. Ananias doesn't even know it. Now you got to go to the other side. Look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. God's moved in Damascus. Remember, it's 200 plus miles away. His name is Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision. So God has spoken 
uh, to Saul of Tarsus, now he's speaking to this man called Ananias. Ananias, he said, here am I, Lord. He says, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Oh, a totally different character now. God has his attention. He's blinded. He's been speaking to the Lord. Notice that uh, he, he intentionally or unintentionally, he's not eating for three days. And this is Ananias is going to go and minister to him. But he's listening to God. And that's the purpose of a true fast, that we listen uh, to the Lord, not to change the Lord's heart, not to change the Lord's mind, but to be in unison with God. Lord, what is it that you want? Here am I, Ananias says. Here am I. Was it supernaturally, this vision? It has to be. What about Paul's vision? What about Paul's audible voice at Saul of Tarsus? Is it the Lord speaking to him? Did he speak to his heart? Or was it an audible voice? Either way, both of these men know that God is speaking. Arise and go to meet this man. Look at verse 12. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Now the vision goes to Paul again. Or Saul of Tarsus, Ananias coming to and putting his hands on him, and so that he might receive his sight. I love this. I don't know if you've ever encountered this. The Lord spoke to Saul, the Lord spoke to Ananias, and he puts them together. There's times through the ministry, I'm traveling, I'm going somewhere, and God puts somebody in my place to meet them, and they put, they come to meet me. And it's almost like we, we belong together for whatever reason God spoke to them. You know, the Lord told me I was going to meet somebody. I didn't know who it was. i, I got to be honest. I'd never seen anybody in a vision, and I'm looking for that guy. I just let it happen. I just let it happen. One time I was in Pennsylvania. I was going across a compound. Uh, we were at a, basically a big store, and so I was in the parking lot. And I had tracks with me. I'm trying to pass them out, give them to people. And, you know, you hand somebody a track, and either they say thank you or they throw it back at you or they drop it right there. Simultaneously, I see this man coming, making a beeline to me. And I said, well, I want to talk to him. I go this way. And we both went like this. I'd like to give you this. And we exchanged tracks. And we had a good time. We talked. You know, you're thousands of miles away. An appointment from God. And so we have to understand. And so here's this man now. God wants to use him mightily. And Ananias, what is he? You know, what's going through his heart? Lord, this guy's going to kill me, Lord. This guy's going to wipe me out. Look at verse 13 now. You see, God's putting them together. But you can't. Take away from Ananias. He knows about this Saul of Tarsus. Ananias answered him, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Obvious to me, Ananias knew about the death of Stephen. 
He knew this man, Saul of Tarsus, had been there before, I believe, with letters in hand, orders to Damascus. And then verse 1, Ananias probably seen this before. This man breathing out threats like a raging bull, an animal snorting back and forth in anger. Look at verse 14. And here he has authority. And so Ananias knows all about him uh, from the chief priest uh, to bind all who call in your name. And Lord, you want me to take him in? Ananias knows Saul of Tarsus. He knows his credentials. He knows his heart. This has to be a struggle for him. And Lord, you want me to lay hands on him? Lord, you want to use me to restore his sight? And guess who he's going to see first? Me. And he's going to take me back. I mean, this has to be in his mind. I want you to think about it. Uh, notice now in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, I like this, go for he is a chosen vessel. That had to have floored Ananias. For he is a chosen vessel of mine, notice, to bear my name before Gentiles and kings, and then also the children of Israel. As we continue to study the life of Saul of Tarsus, we know that he was born in Tarsus. It's what we understand today, modern-day uh, Turkey. It was very Greek-cultured at the time. And so Paul becomes a Roman citizen because he was raised in Tarsus. But he also was a Hebrew. And so when the time comes, he goes from Tarsus to Jerusalem. And there he studies under a great man, as we mentioned, Gamaliel. So Paul had Saul of Tarsus at this time. Eventually, Paul the apostle, he had the two natures. And I'm not speaking about the spirit and the flesh. He was part of that, yes. But he was a Greek citizen. And he was also a Hebrew. And so it was to his advantage. He could go everywhere and anywhere. Now, we know that Paul the Apostle desperately wanted to minister to his people, the Jews. They rejected him. They hated him. And so he took the message to the Gentiles. We're going to see that as we continue in the book of Acts. Look at verse 16. For I will show him, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, he's telling Ananias, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wait a minute, Lord, you, you didn't say anything about that. I've come to saving grace in the Damascus Highway. The woman at the well in Samaria, I've come to saving grace. Nicodemus, back in John chapter 3, he had come to saving grace. And so many uh, in the New Testament had come to saving grace, and they all go through trials. We don't like trials. But yet, as we shared last week, uh, the more trials that come, more persecution that comes, and listen, even martyrdom that comes, how is it that the church rises stronger? They cannot shut the Christians up in the Middle East. They know I'm a Muslim. I come to Christ. They know in their heart 
In many cases, they're signing their own death certificate. Sometimes that day they die. Sometimes that week they die. What about Saul of Tarsus now? Thank you, Lord, for saving me, but what about these trials? And if anybody went through hardship, it was Saul of Tarsus that becomes Paul the Apostle. I want you to flip to a passage with me. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Paul is teaching at this time. He's no longer Saul of Tarsus. He's Paul the Apostle. And he's talking to a, a young preacher by the name of Timothy that was a preacher there, the pastor of the Ephesus church. Now, I say a young preacher, but in the culture of the Jews, they would not listen to you if you were a teacher unless you were 30 years and over. They did not consider you a teacher. They didn't want to listen unless you had the experience, first of all, of age. And so 30 years and older. But Timothy is in the ministry, but he wants out. The whole letter of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're called uh, pastoral epistles, and they're for encouragement. And a pastor has often, um, including myself, will go back and read 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Lord, speak to me as you spoke to Timothy, as you spoke to Titus. And so here's the warning, here's the encouragement, here's the chase, chastening from the Lord as the Spirit of God speaks through Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, he's speaking to Timothy, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, and my long-suffering, my love and perseverance. Paul's using himself as an example. Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Notice verse 11. I've also gone through persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me, and he named some of the cities, in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them, listen to me, the Lord delivered me. But out of them, the Lord delivered me. When I'm going through something, and I think you testify, when you're going through something, we can rant and rave. We can complain, Lord, why me? Why not somebody else? And as I've shared many times, we have two choices. Either I run to God or I run from God. It's my choice. I have a free will. And so Paul the Apostle went through many trials and tribulations, hardship and pain. It was not easy, but he knew that God would deliver him. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will never give you any more than you can handle. And I know what you're going to say, because I said, Lord, I can't handle it no more. And yet we're able to endure. Notice that he says here, all who desire, well, let's read verse 11 again. Uh, what persecutions I endured, the bottom of verse 11, and out of them the Lord delivered me. Paul was delivered. It wasn't until the last meeting with Nero in Rome that finally his head comes off. He was beheaded, but not until his ministry was complete. Verse 12 is, is a passage that pastors have to take to their heart. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Pastor Saeed is suffering persecution. Why? 
He tries to start three orphanages. He had two already. He starts his third one, and he's arrested. He's going on two and a half years. Then Paul warns Timothy in verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That was a warning to Timothy, and that's a warning in ministry. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit. He's going to lead us and guide us into all truth. But then he reminds Timothy, listen, verse 15, from your childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation uh, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul is coming to, through Lystra, and he meets Timothy there. Timothy is considered his protege. He eventually comes to saving grace. But in Acts chapter 17, he gives testimony uh, that he had learned the scriptures. We know that his mother Eunice taught him. We know that his grandmother Lois also taught him. Now, Timothy was half Greek and half Hebrew. We don't have any mention of Timothy's dad. But I like that the ladies, the mom and the grandma, took the charge and taught him the word of God. Look at verse 16 now. All scripture, Timothy, is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. Listen to the profitableness. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We know that there's many gifts of the Holy Spirit. When I look at the scriptures, I count them up, and I see in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14, and then I see in Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 11 and 12. We see approximately 21 gifts. Is that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I don't believe so. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, these are gifts to the church. And I gave them some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers. The whole purpose is to equip the body of Christ. I know my gift. I desperately wanted to be an evangelist. That was my heart. That was my joy. And I still share with everybody. But I know that God has called me as a pastor teacher. That's my position. That's my job. That's my call. That's my ministry. And the whole purpose is to equip the saints, the body of Christ. Out of our church has come other Calvary chapels. Out of our church has come other pastors. And it floors me because I'm not one that even dreamed of that. And yet look what God has done. Look at the ministries that God is using in your life. Notice now, gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Pastor, teacher, I believe Paul, the apostle, was a great man of God, but he had to be broken. And he went through trial after trial, sometimes left dead, and yet God wasn't finished with him. Let's go back to our text, look at verse 17, book of Acts chapter 9. And Ananias went his way, and he entered the house, he's believing now, everything God's told him, he's obedient now, and laying hands, his hands on him, Speaking of Saul of Tarsus, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, 
whom appeared to you on the road of Damascus as you came, he sent me that you may receive your sight and listen to this and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was never the same or Saul of Tarsus in verse 18 immediately, listen, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he rose up and then he was water baptized. Now we know he comes to salvation on the road to Damascus. He goes to Ananias' house and now he can see after three days. And now the Spirit of God has fallen upon him. Listen, the Holy Spirit came into his life at the road to Damascus. But now the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the upon experience, Acts chapter 2, Saul of Tarsus is never the same. He's never the same. So he's come to salvation. He's filled with the Spirit. He takes on water baptism. I hope and pray if you haven't been water baptized or if you were water baptized like Chewy and you say, well, I'm never going to have to be water baptized. If God speaks to you, be water baptized. There's been several people. I don't bug them. I ask them. You want to be baptized? Fine. If you don't want to be baptized, sooner or later. And yet we have another guy that uh, I've known for years. I love him dearly. And he had his struggles up and down, up and down. And I think I've estimated that I've baptized him at least six times in part of our church. And somebody said, how come you keep baptizing him? I said, well, one day it's going to take. One day it's going to take. And somebody said, well, maybe you leave him a little longer. I said, no, you know, you know, see what God wants to do. So you guys need to pray and see the water baptism. It's a beautiful place. Paul comes to salvation. Saul of Tarsus, the tyrant, the raging bull, if you may. The Holy Spirit comes upon him like the book of Acts chapter 2. And he says, what about water baptism? So there's Ananias baptizing him. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. As Paul's ministry continues, he's not about water baptism. He says, I'm glad I only baptized uh, Crispus and Gaius. He was not into water baptizing. He was into saving souls, leading them to Christ. Look at verse 19. So when he had received food, now he'd been fasting for three days, he was strengthened. And then Saul uh, spent some days uh, with the disciples at Damascus. We don't know how long he stayed. But it's a time of fellowship, a time of learning. I, I love when I hear about you guys, and we'll go to lunch after church, Mary and I, from time to time. And then, you know, somebody from the fellowship, hey, they're going to lunch, so we hook up, and it's fun. It's, it's a blast to go to the, the same restaurant and talk about Christ, talk about the message, anything. But we did that quite a bit in the early days back home. And listen to this. Our favorite place back home, everybody used to go to Coco's. Coco's is the type of Denny's, uh, type of village inn. It's kind of going extinct out in Southern California. Mary and I, when we go back, we like to go to Coco's. And people go, oh, don't go there. It's old. Well, we're old, and I like to go eat old food. No. Anyway, they have a oriental salad that Mary and I like, and so, but this is what happened at our church. This is 30 plus years ago. Pastor Raul gets word of it. All these Christians from Calvary Chapel, they're going to the local Cocos there, and then when they leave, 
Remember, some of you have waited on tables. You know what I'm talking about. You get minimum wage, if anything, and you rely upon your tips. And here's these beautiful ladies and beautiful guys, and they come and serve you, bring you water, pick up your spills, and they do everything but burp you, right? And uh, yeah, some of them are mean, but most of them are nice. And so the Christians were not leaving good tips, if any. And Pastor Rawls said, listen, when you go to Coco's, uh, you guys are being a good witness. I know that. You're passing out tracts. You're telling the new waitress or waiter, have you come to Jesus? And they listen to you. And then you leave them a tip for a quarter. He goes, what is that kind of a message that you're sending? And so, you know, treat them nice and they'll treat you nice. You want them to come to Christ and then you give a quarter. Uh, it doesn't work in my book. So he receives strength now. He's had this beautiful fellowship. Immediately, he goes preaching. He really had no schooling for preaching, but he knew his Old Testament. He's a doctor of the law. Look at verse 20. Immediately, he preached uh, the Christ in the synagogues, uh, that he is the Son of God. That didn't go well. We're going to see that. Now, usually the word Christ in the Scriptures is the word Christos, in the Greek, and it means Messiah, but here it's a Azus uh, from the Hebrew word Jehoshua or Joshua. And so Paul preached Jesus or Solitarsus here. He's preaching Jesus now, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The Jews knew about Messiah, but they would not come to the Scriptures. You see, in the Gospel of John, John knew their hearts. The, the Jews were looking for a political Messiah, somebody that would come and rid them from the oppression of Rome. But Messiah came, as we shared earlier, as a meek lamb to die for the sins of mankind. In his second coming, he'll set up the kingdom age. The Jews now testify at the synagogues. He says, then all who heard they're amazed at this solitarsis. And they said, is this not uh, he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? We've seen this solitarsis before. What's he doing preaching the gospel? What's he doing preaching about this Jesus of Nazareth? He's got letters in hand. He's been there before. He's come to get Christians and take them back and bound them and put them in prison and even execute such as Stephen. They knew. But all of a sudden, Saul of Tarsus is there for a whole different reason. Notice verse 22. Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews. He was very smart, very bright. He knew the Old Testament law. Those Jews in Damascus were overwhelmed. And notice the word here in the Greek is very strong. He was proving that this Jesus is the Christ, a different word for Christ now. It's the word Christos. The other one was the word for Jesus, which was Jehoshua, which is Joshua, which was an Old Testament name of Christ, but now specifically about Messiah. The Jews were in disorder, the word confounded. Saul proved 
of the word proving, he drove home the point. What was the point? Listen, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Paul's done preaching, or Saul of Tarsus. He's done preaching. But the Jews want to kill him now. The shoe's on the other foot, as they say. Look at these last few verses. Now, after many days were passed, again, we don't know how long he stayed there, uh, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul of Tarsus, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. How did Saul of Tarsus know? Did Ananias find out about the plot and come and warn him? Did the Holy Spirit speak to him? Either way, Saul, it's time for you to get out of here. Now, I don't believe that Saul was, you know, afraid. He's come to a new experience. The Holy Spirit's gotten a hold of him. His heart's been pricked. And not only that, but he's come to saving grace. But at the same time, his ministry is just beginning. You see, God's not going to take you home. He's not going to take me home until your ministry is finished. Look how he concludes now. Remember, he's Saul of Tarsus, but their plot became known to Saul. In verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and they led him down through the wall in a large basket. I like this. Here's this tyrant, this raging bull, snorting back and forth, and, and his nostrils are flaring. Letters in hand, angry heart. God's tamed the savage beast. And he's come to saving grace. He's preaching at the synagogue. How long was he there? We don't know. But now he hears of the plot. They want to kill him. Saul, you need to leave. They lower him in a basket. I like that. Here's this tyrant, this mean guy, and he's subject. First of all, they led him by the hand like a little puppy dog. He's blind. The scales have been taken care of now. But now he's going out of the city in a basket. But it has to happen because God is not finished with him. I want you to write down this last verse. I'm going to just quote it real quick. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. It tells us that Paul had gone to Arabia, listen, for three years span. And there, I believe, Jesus was teaching him. I believe that the Holy Spirit was teaching him. We're told as you continue in the book of Galatians, it was 14 years until Saul of Tarsus, which becomes Paul the Apostle, 14 years before he went to Jerusalem. Because they didn't want nothing to do with him. He had arguments with Peter, James, John, all these guys. Because Paul was going to the Gentiles. He was dancing with the Gentiles. He was eating their foods. And for a Jew, that was heavy. Jesus came against them, the religious sect. When they come into the marketplace, they pull their garments. And God forbid they would rub against something that a Gentile had rubbed up. Remember when they were walking, and you all had that problem. You're walking and you're talking, here comes a gnat. Or something flies into your mouth and you, what do you do? Start spitting and hacking. 
Well, we do it because I don't want that foul thing in my mouth. I don't know if any of you ever had a bee, but you can tell when somebody has a bee in their mouth because they're, man, they're running. But imagine trying to get rid of this. But it was their hearts that were wrong. Saul of Tarsus comes to saving grace. He's never the same. He writes the majority of the New Testament. He comes to salvation in the Damascus Highway. If you haven't come to Christ, today is the day of your salvation. If the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart, I'm not preaching religion. I'm preaching a relationship. That's what Paul, Paul was leaving a religious factor and coming to a relationship. Let's all stand, and we're going to end with a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask if you'd like to come to Saving Grace. See what the Lord wants to do in your heart. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never come to Saving Grace, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you by the mercies of God. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about Pastor Bob. It's all about Jesus. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you, you'd like to receive Christ right there where you're at, I just want you to lift up your hand real quick. I want to say a quick prayer with you. Anybody here would like to receive Christ? Raise your hand real quick. Anybody before we close. Praise the Lord. Then maybe uh, we're all Christians. We're all believers. Praise God. Maybe you're in a backslidden condition. If that's you this morning, you'd like to come back to the sheepfold. Would you raise your hand? I want to just say a quick prayer for you. Anybody here this morning? I see your hand right here in the middle. Praise the Lord. Anybody else with this gentleman like to rededicate this life? I see your hand back there. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Real quick. Real quick. All right, let's pray for these two that want to rededicate that life. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you praise and honor and glory. I thank you for the word of God, the word of God that will not come back void. Lord, I pray that uh, these that have raised their hand, that you would just, uh, Lord, forgive them of all their sins, past, present, and future. The Bible says, if I confess my sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, forgive our sins. Forgive these and bring them back into the sheepfold. And, and fill them with the Holy Spirit and give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Father, we, pr we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.